Welcome to the I Am Enough podcast. I'm your host, Alisa Eresina, and I invite you on a journey of remembering who we really are. Human, perfectly imperfect, powerful, and always interconnected. One Earth, one humanity, and one love. You are enough. Always were and always will be. So shall we play? One and we are live. Welcome everyone to another fantastic episode of I Am Enough podcast. And today, once again, a pleasure and honor to have Christine on the show, a powerful female leader. You are a serial entrepreneur, um, an author. You are an um, everyday life philosopher. I love that, by the way, in your bio. And um, mother and simply beautiful human being. And I'm super excited to have you on the show. And in the beginning, I always share a bit with, with the audience and whoever is tuning in how I meet the person or what's the interaction, what's the juice there. So um, we shared also before we pushed the record button that we're both are coming from the same uh, student-run leadership organization, ISEC. So obviously somehow, at least from my perspective, um, alumnus pop up everywhere if it comes to change making, personal growth, innovation, and, our, uh, and you're one of these figures. So I've, fo- I've been following you for a while and you're co-founder of Mindbelly, this fantastic um, global school for transformation. But really the moments where I felt like a soul connection or I felt like my heart um, felt um, really a credible depth was when I saw a picture on you on Instagram um, you posing very sensual uh, with, I think, a bra and um, it was, I'm not, I looked it up actually before, before we went on the call. And what touched me most is you just being so vulnerable and sharing um, how much of a um, difference is also is if you're an entrepreneur, a kickers woman, a mother, um, 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 around 40 and being so vulnerable and showing yourself. And I loved it so much because I felt, yes, yes, yes. This is the female leaders which we need where we embrace fully our sensuality, sexual nature, and we can still be a kick-ass uh, business person. So it's not a contradiction. So that was the moment what clicked for me. And since then I felt like, wow, I want to have her on this show and was just more aware what you were happening. So that was a brief intro, and I would love to give you the space to introduce who you are um, and, and share your magic with, with everyone. And um, I do that with this beautiful question that they ask everyone. So what is your bullshit story of not being enough that you have told yourself or even maybe tell yourself right now? So welcome to the show, Christina. So great and great to have you here. Uh- Thank you so much. Um, it's it's funny because that picture is uh, yeah it's a few years old now, and um, the message there was that uh, for and I'm not answering your question yet. Just just first about this picture, the message there was that we have to uh, whatever strength we imagine we have, we have to uh, show it uh, fully the way we are, and not uh, not try to be something else. So there is this perception that a strong woman has to be in some way masculine. Uh, and I, uh, I want to see more uh, female leaders who actually are completely feminine, as feminine as it is. And just for women to remember that our strength is not in becoming men, our strength in 
is in becoming more of what we are. So that, that was pretty much the message of that picture. And also, of course, the, the whole contradiction between professional and, uh, and sexual. Uh, well, the truth is that uh, a lot of us are very uh, outright and, and, and obviously sexual and, and uh, hiding it is in a way um, hypocritical. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a mask. Sometimes, of course, you have to do that uh, if, you, if you're going to, in a, uh, to a place where sexuality is, uh, is out of place, then of course you, you might want to do it out of respect, but not just because the society expects you to be in a certain way. But uh, when it comes to a bullshit story about uh, when I'm not enough, uh, I think it's not one bullshit story. We, uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, like you take a shower every day because you, you acquire some level of dirt every day. So the same with our mind, uh, there is enough of uh, I'm not enough, uh, in, uh, at least in my life, uh, going about, that there is no one particular story. But I'm going to make a post today on my Instagram, and I actually wrote it last night, uh, because <laughs> posts on Instagram are done by time, and uh, inspiration comes whenever it wants to come. So mine came last night. And uh, that's probably one of the latest uh, not enough stories that um, I'm struggling with. And uh, it has to do with the idea that uh, you know, what's my worth? There are places in life where I do take the center stage uh, in my team in Russian market. I'm, uh, I'm the face of Mind Valley and uh, I do take the lead. But there are areas in life where we take the second position, which is also fine. Uh, and uh, for women who have been married and have been married, uh, it's, usually, uh, it's usually next to your husband very often or next to another uh, strong um, masculine leader usually. Uh, let's say even a colleague, a boss, uh, sometimes an, not, I wouldn't say an assistant, but a, uh, an assistant in essence can be uh, as strong a leader, as uh, strong an impact, but, uh, but it is the, the role in the shadow of another person. Um, and here, uh, my struggle was not so much uh, about my position of being in the shadow or being in the background as the struggle of valuing that position. You know how we, uh, especially women, uh, we would make home, we would uh, raise children uh, and go to work. Uh, and we put the most of our value in the work that we're doing, what people see. And uh, what we do in the background, we think this is just either given to us by nature or something which is just by default. And it's not even the society that doesn't value. I believe that uh, our judgments comes first, come from, first from us and then the society adopts the judgment. So my latest struggle has been that uh, wherever I was not in the limelight, that position I always valued and I thought it was worth nothing at all. So if I was supporting, be it my parents or my husband or whoever else or my colleagues, if my role was a supporting role, then I wouldn't take uh, the blame for success. I would say, oh no, I was just supporting, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's all you you're doing. So this is, this is where uh, I'm learning right now to feel enough uh, to actually declare my worth in every, um, in every expression of myself, in expression of a leader and also an expression of a supporting person. Declare my worth there. You know, like Oscars gives uh, awards for, for their leading actor and for the supporting actor because it's just as, as uh, valuable. 
but often in real life we think this isn't valuable because this is just support so that's that's my latest struggle i would say mm. thank you for starting so open and and uh, right in into the deep juicy stuff i love that uh, <laughs> and there are many many beautiful things that i want to follow up and go uh, go into but uh, first uh, um to, to what you said regarding the, the second role or the supporting role. I found it super interesting because I, like you're, you're putting it kind of the nail in the right spots. I felt, uh, maybe also somebody was listening uh, many times, exactly the shame or somehow that it's not enough being in a supportive role. And, um, and it's interesting that you point this out because it's kind of a, I never heard somebody else like addressing it this way uh, in any form. Um, why do you think um, has it developed this way that we that we devalue somehow the support system or the people or the team or the ecosystem around uh, the people who are sh uh, shining? Like how, what happened here? Like, is it an individual struggle? Is it something that we just as a society build? You know, I, I wouldn't be uh, able to give you a very qualified answer because that question, uh, that realization is something which I'm uh, going through right now. Uh, as I said, we have enough struggles for a lifetime. <laughs> so I, I just started, uh, started thinking about that. So I haven't really made deep enough research to figure it out. So I can only share my personal experience right now. And maybe somebody would relate, but uh, maybe not, because uh, we all have very unique personal experiences. So in my case, um, I was born in Soviet Union, which is... Uh, F uh, was a funny mix of traditional and uh, very emancipated and egalitarian. So on one side, uh, women had equal rights with men to a great degree, but it was also still a very patriarchal uh, society. So it, it was an interesting, uh, contradictory uh, environment for me to grow up because, you know, whenever you have con contrasting messages, your brain goes like, what? What's, what's going on? What is right? It's like with, with this whole pandemic. I do not know if you relate to that. People were saying, oh my God, COVID is so dangerous. And on the other side, they were saying, oh, chill, everything is going to be fine. And your brain was going like, dangerous, fine, dangerous, fine. What, what is the arrow, truth? Arrow, arrow, arrow. So uh, in the Western society, we live pretty much in this circumstances right now. So I've lived 16 years in Asia, so I can relate to both Asia and West. So in Asia, it's clear. Uh, a woman is a woman. Of course, there is some talk about uh, about that we are actually created equal, and let's let's not talk about that we are the same, but we should have equal possibilities and opportunities. Uh, but in Asia, it's uh, it's still uh, much more traditional. So uh, a woman doesn't have the uh, struggle about like so. Uh, where's my position? She knows she has to fight her way. <laughs> In, in the West, you get a little bit of both. On one side, you, you, you get this whole um, feminist uh, discourse for years now. We, we, we know, everybody knows, a man wouldn't be consciously misogynist. He would understand this is not normal to speak like that. This is not normal to behave like that. Yet, it is not completely there yet. Uh, if you look at, uh, at uh, the way society runs, uh, it, 
we still have the uh, division of, okay, this is being masculine and this is being feminine. And when a woman does end up being in a masculine position, she starts, uh, she starts turning into a little bit of a man. So yes, physical body of a woman is in an equal position with the physical body of a man. But when it comes to the way we feel ourselves, that's where we actually start feeling a little bit more of a man because we both have both man and woman in us. Uh, so it's, it's very contradictory and we, we haven't learned how to behave. We as women in, in the West, we haven't learned yet how to embody this equal rights in full. And that's why we don't have the full power because our power is not being in some, something else. Our power is in being ourselves. And being ourselves is being the weird, feminine, fluid, unpredictable, uh, very emotional, very uh, intu intuitive. That's that's what women are. But but we think this is our weakness. This is our strength. So um, so I guess the the part of losing the value is our own choice. So I can say it from my own experience. I grew up in this contradictory environment where I knew that yes, I am powerful, but yes, I also have a role. A proper girl does proper things. And it's, it doesn't express only in relation to a man, it's expressed in many ways. I was the, the, and still am the only child of my parents, so I had to study well, I had to be a good girl, all the naughtiness had to be done very measured and you know under the carpet so that it doesn't affect my, <laughs> my, my future prospects. Mm. I had to get married I had to have children I had to have a career I couldn't allow myself to do things which uh, were not in the book uh, and and being a good wife was part of that it's so deeply ingrained in me that I'm not asking uh, a man in my house to clean the house I'm not asking a man in my house to cook for me uh, my maximum was to say, oh, I'm, I'm too lazy to cook today. Would you order something? Or do you mind taking out the garbage? Or maybe the shopping. But that was the list of masculine tasks. Everything else was uh, a role of a woman. And it's not that it was, it's, it's something that I assumed voluntarily on me because that's how I grew up. And it was strange for me to ask something else. So the same thing with this value that I attributed to my role as a wife, to my role as a co-founder of Mind Valley, not the founder, but co-founder. You see, even in, I, I am the first person in Mind Valley together with Vision and our third co-founder. Uh, I was there from day one, but even there, I am uh, okay with the uh, title co-founder. And it's, it's, it's a voluntary choice. The question is, and, and sometimes it's okay. We, we need second in command. We need uh, you know, people who are executive people in your team. And I've, I've taken all sorts of positions throughout my life. The question is, do you put the value in that position? Do we as women, do we put the value in the position that we actually take care of the home? Do we put the value in the fact that we make the choices about our Your husband might say, oh, I'm doing business. Do we put the value in the fact that you give them space and opportunity and your faith and support in doing that business, that you're not asking for the money to be brought home, that you're not asking for the time to be devoted to you and the children? We don't put the value in that. We think this is our natural world. And I'm, again, I'm talking about my personal struggle and I know that we all have different personal struggles. For someone, it's the position of a wife which has been in the shadows where the women forget their value in that position and they think this is something which we just have to do. That's just because I'm a girl. And that's what just, 
there's no value in that because it's intrinsic, but it's not true. Is there value in your child because it's intrinsic or, uh, or, or uh, you know, like, does, does your child just by virtue of being a ch your child, just, just, does your child feel the value of that, of, of that person just existing in your life? They don't need to be told that you're valuable for that. Actually, they do need to be told, especially the, the more they grow. But this is our natural, uh, natural way of being. When I'm somewhere, I have to know that my worth is here. Whatever I do here, there's my worth in it. But uh, with, with time, we, we learn to, uh, to say, oh, that's nothing. I, I, I still don't have the answer. That's why I give you like a, a slightly blurry rant, but that's how it feels right now. I love it. I love it. And um, it is something to explore maybe even for a lifetime. And I'm not even sure if we find an infinite answer to these questions. And it's so just, just interesting to see reflections of other minds, like w what's happening because, um, um, and I mean, like there were many, many beautiful points that you touched upon. Um, um, that made me f think, or at least uh, to explore this for myself more. Um, I love what you said that there is this um, masculine, feminine, traditional roles, but also the way how I feel it, it's also, um, uh, it's not external and you mentioned it, it's also internally. We all have this masculine, feminine qualities um, or energies or whatever vocabulary you prefer to use it. It's let's not get like caught in, in this discussion. And my question would be, do you think it's possible that if it comes to, um, let's say, succeeding uh, in a career choice, that you embrace this full feminine embodiment? Uh, because the examples that we have seen so far in the corporate world and business market is exactly the opposite, that you have to embody these masculine qualities that we all have, and you naturally become more involved with that. But is there a different way of how we can lead? Is there a different way of how we can structure society? Is there a different way of how we can recognize a strong uh, human leader embracing fully the intuitive, wild, childish, uh, uh, open, feminine embodiment? What do you think on that? I think that this is the only way, actually. And that's our problem. Since uh, history, for a woman to take lead, she had to put on the pants. She had to jump on the horse. She had to become a man. And almost any figure, female figure that you see from the past, very few truly feminine figures uh, come to mind. Almost all of them had to uh, acquire some kind of masculine quality. Even if we talk about uh, current leaders, practically look at any president, female president of the country. She wears suits and cuts her hair short. It's almost a given. And I, I don't want to criticize personal choices, uh, fashion choices of women. It's, uh, they, we all have space for that and it's fine. But the thing is that, did you change that to make this career? There is this beautiful movie by Pixar. It's a short movie and I can never remember for the love of life the name of it. It's either Furl or it's Pearl, one or the other. It's either with an F or the, with a P. But it's, uh, it exactly shows that story of a girly girl coming into a masculine society and, and um, having to become a bro to be accepted. And uh, then later, you see, I, I don't believe in a, in a battle between uh, fem feminine and masculine, but uh, there is a little bit of a battle as in, um, and I believe it's more internal than actually between the fe feminine and masculine, and I'm using them right now, um, sex uh, away from the sex 
Uh, it's more like definition uh, of gender as in, you know, uh, very feminine men, for example, also uh, probably feel uh, that they uh, lack certain powers, right? Or uh, So I'm talking about masculine and feminine as an energy, as an expression and not as a gender per se. <clears throat> so, uh, and, and not even gender, and not as sex, as in physical embodiment of, of, of being a man or a woman, because gender is also a, a fluid thing. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so uh, there, I don't think there is even a battle between, between these two different energies. This, there's a battle right now, I feel there is a battle in the feminine energy in finding the worth in being feminine. So we we feel that uh, that we have to uh, we have to become masculine to be strong yes i'm a woman and i am strong even our examples of strong women are always boisterous it's fast it's it's the one who can kick ass uh, she she has feminine attributes breasts and heels usually if we look at the movies uh, but she essentially behaves like a man if you think of the uh, characters who are like i i have a uh, a little female obsession about Aung San Suu Kyi. She's this uh, Burmese uh, female leader uh, and, and she in a way is soft and feminine, but she also had to do a very masculine man, uh, masculine move to, to make her point. She gave up her family, her children, her husband to, to, for the political struggle. It is a very masculine thing to do. Uh, and a lot of women, when they end up in the masculine world, they feel that I have to become men. A friend of mine once said in that discussion, she said, I want to cut off the balls and grow a pair of ovaries. And I believe that we'll only uh, win this struggle for power, and I'm calling it struggle for power, if we admit that being feminine is also strong. There is strength in being feminine. Russians have this weird saying that applying wood uh, will stand longer. Because uh, the wood which is uh, rigid will be blown down with the first uh, wind. But if you can, you know, th th that's the feminine thing. We are marathoners. We are not sprinters. We have endurance. We have so many amazing qualities that we somehow devalue. We, uh, the whole society is talking about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is natural to women. Men have to uh, study that. They have to <laughs> develop that muscle. The world is turning. And when we realize that our strength is in being women, in being what we are, including being sexual, yes, it is inappropriate right now. But maybe we can change that. Maybe it's okay to go on stage in a short skirt on high heels. Why not? And that's what I've been doing. And I know people, I've, I've had situations where I'm on a big business conference in Russia, uh, talking to a whole like room full of suits about how you have to relax to make success in business. And I look like a true girl because I'm on heels and in a girly dress with a decollete and it's not uh, covering my knees. And the first question I get after I finish my speech is from a woman, from a woman, not even from a man. Oh, by the way, did you make your first million? I was so baffled, I didn't even know how to, I was like, <laughs> so you see, it's, it's so deep in us, not even in men, it's deep in us women. We women believe that we have to, uh, we have to grow balls to be a leader. Mm. 
I can so much resonate with that. And I, I love for just what you say. And I see so many also connections um, between our stories. I'm also born in Russia. So I know this difference, uh, contradiction, contradictions. And I had a strong identity crisis as well. And you see those different worlds and you see how it's great. And you just start to question like, what's right? What's, what's reality? And, um, and the, the like the last couple of years i'm i'm uh, envisioning like a different paradigm of female leadership and it's exactly what you're saying about it. it's about really embracing who we are at our core and not so much trying to copy paste what we've seen already there or putting like uh, you know a suit to to to, to make it very like simple. So I love, I, I love. Do you mind if I give you another example in a different uh, context? Sorry. I love it. Please go ahead. Yes. I'm, I'm a novice speaker. I've gone on stage a few years ago. Uh, it was my calling. So I, I didn't, um, feel that I have to be a speaker. I just felt I had a message I wanted to share. And uh, of course, uh, because I'm co-founder of Mindvalley, I have a chance to speak on Mindvalley stage. And Mindvalley stage is a host to some of the best speakers. We have TED speakers, we have speakers who fill stadiums, who charge uh, terrible amounts of money to just speak for half an hour. So we have the best speakers in the world. And I remember one, uh, one event where I was speaking and I had remarkable speakers before me. There came uh, Michael Beckwith, who has started Agape Church. And of course, as a speaker, he is so explosive. He has so much energy. It's like the whole stage is uh, exploded with fireworks when he's on stage. Then we had uh, we had a best-selling author speaker speaking before me. He wrote a book. It's best-selling, New York Times best-selling book. He has an accomplishment. You know, he is uh, an authority. Then I had, uh, we had some, <clears throat> uh, uh, young entrepreneurs um, who have built an amazingly successful business go on stage before me. And I'm sitting, sitting there at the back of the stage waiting for my turn to go on stage and feeling absolutely inadequate. Because I, uh, it's actually a longer story because it started at one of the events and it ended in the uh, event which happened half a year later. But that first event, I'm sitting there feeling incredibly inadequate because I compare myself facet to facet. I don't have that energy. I can make that energy probably uh, because, uh, you know, I'm perfectionist. I can play anything, but it's not my natural energy. So if I go on stage and I start jumping and yelling and screaming and waving my hands, I feel like a fraud because that's not me. And I've, do, I've done uh, public speaking classes with people whom I truly admire, who are amazing speakers. And every time I do that, I think, but I can't do you. I have to be me, right? I can't do you because I will not feel authentic. Uh, and I talk about authenticity. Uh, then I compare myself, my accomplishments. Well, I've always been in the shadow. I've always been the, you know, the number, number two. And, and uh, that's of no worth. Uh, it's the person in the limelight who get, uh, get, gets the accolades. I'm, I'm just the support. Uh, yes, we've built the business, but you know, it's, it's a big business. So many people have played a role in it. I can't, I can't take um, blame for, for that success. <laughs> so I'm sitting and comparing myself facet to facet to one speaker to another speaker, and I feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And then when my turn comes to go on stage, I remember a thing I heard from one of my friends. She said, we are obsessed with this idea of uh, you have a talent. And we try to look for that talent. But the truth is that we are all multifaceted and multi-talented. And what makes us special is the unique combination of different things about us, not this one thing. So I stopped comparing myself facet to facet because that made me feel so horrible. And I thought, what makes me unique 
is exactly this package that I have, exactly my journey with my struggles, with my, with my story and my message. And half a year later, I was speaking again and the stage was even bigger and the stars were even brighter. And I go on the stage and I suddenly, I, I was actually quite terrified, but somebody luckily told me, uh, they just complimented me for the message that I was giving and for the way I was giving, for the way of be, me being me, that I suddenly, it suddenly, finally clicked into place. I went on stage and I said, guys, I know, I have a different energy, I'm strange maybe, I have a, an accent, and I speak in a quiet voice, and I have very weird sense of humor. But the point is that someone needs this right now here on stage. And maybe I don't want to compare myself to other speakers, but I have value in what I am. Do you, do you see your value in what you are, even if it is different from everybody else? Even if it is quirky, unique, weird, obscure, whatever it is, if you're in that place, you have value there. And just embrace that value, only then you can play. Because it's, I, I used to talk about, can you accept yourself with your flaws, with your darkness, with your misery? It's not only that, can you accept your greatness? Do you have the guts to say that what I am is great? Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so so much for sharing this so openly and vulnerably. I think it's so incredibly important also to see, feel, and listen because usually you have this projection on social media and um, we we think everything is great and everything is working out perfectly and there are no struggles and so on. But this is what's happening in our back of the mind and it's conditioned. And I love what you said. It's this embracing that you're this unique, beautiful color of the rainbow and you don't have to become someone else. You can be you. And for me, it feels sometimes, um, you know, like when, when I heard you uh, speaking and when you're your most authentic, beautiful self, whatever this might be, might be you're having your weird humor, might be you're <laughs> having your loud talent to scream, whatever, it does matter somehow you can feel it on the other side and you give others the permission to be themselves. So this is somehow it's felt. So it gives somehow the permission for somebody else, like recognizing their own beauty light because you're embracing fully yours. And I love that. And I, I, I know that uh, um, witnessing also your joining, this is what you do. Um, I would love to know if somebody's listening right now and feel, feels, yes, this is me. I understand this on a cognitive level, let's put it like this, <laughs> but how can I transition it or to transform it into really embodying this knowledge into to, to wisdom. Do you have any specific tips or um, practices that help you to make this aha realization mm -hmm. something uh, what you what you feel and actually uh, do? Uh, it's uh, yes, it's interesting thing because we we know a lot of things and there's nothing new in the world that you can hear something everything has been said at some point or another by someone uh, and uh, it's not about that it's i uh, compare knowledge to a library of books uh, the more knowledge you have, the more books you have, and it's a beautiful asset to have, but it will not change anything about your life if, if it stays a closed book on the shelf. Uh, so I have a formula for transformation, and my formula is, uh, is very simple. Transformation is experience plus consciousness. So I've, I've skipped one bit, uh, because there's knowledge and there's experience. Uh, knowledge, uh, knowledge doesn't change anything. It's experience that makes you... Um, you see the world differently. So just a simple example, uh, if you struggle with money, you might 
consciously, cognitively understand the concept of uh, abundance mindset and uh, allowing uh, the money to get into your life. But you, if you have never ever physically experienced what it means, that cognitive knowledge is not going to change your life. And you can even keep on saying that, um, you know, keep, keep repeating the mantras or, or, or affirmations. Uh, it, it is the experience. It's when, when the knowledge moves from the level of your head to the level of your heart or even cellular level. When you feel it with your, uh, every cell in your body, that's when it makes a difference. For example, uh, I had this uh, realization uh, with the idea that happiness is within you. Uh, and uh, it is a very uh, beautiful idea, but absolutely useless when uh, you are in trouble, when you're worried for something or someone, uh, when the person do, that you love is in, in trouble or, or is hurting or is missing, and, and that happiness is within doesn't help you. It was, um, it was one moment when I was uh, driving in a car listening to some silly, um, silly uh, pop song uh, with the words, everything is going to be okay. And I suddenly felt uh, like I was 18, uh, carefree and with no responsibilities, just knowing uh, that I have me, I have my, uh, my clarity, my, my mind, my personality, my ambitions, my courage. And then I suddenly, it suddenly dawned on me, I suddenly felt in my body that I am going to be okay eventually. Happiness is within me, even if it's not always accessible to me, not in every single moment of time. But it was this feeling where I felt suddenly 18 in that moment, and suddenly my whole cellular being was rewired into a different frequency that the cognitive knowledge reached into my body, and it made a difference in my life. So that's number one. You have to move the cognitive experience, knowledge into uh, bodily, physical experience for this to make a difference. Only when you feel abundance in every single cell of your uh, body will, will, it sudden, it, will it finally click into place and you're like, oh, I get it. I get it how it works. It's like with any skill. If you've learned to play an instrument, you paint, or, or if you learned a sport, a dance, whatever, you painstakingly learn every single move. You think of how your finger moves. And then only when, when it suddenly happens on autopilot without you even applying your knowledge, that's when the mastery happens. The same with your knowledge. It has to move from this level to the level of your body. But uh, an experience gives you that experience in life. You can experience something in life and that will suddenly click into place. But here comes another, uh, another part of my formula. It has to come with consciousness because experience has potential for transformation and the transformation can be for the better or for the worse. Uh, it can make you stronger or it can make you more traumatized. So it's the consciousness, the, the thought process that's applied to your experience that makes the whole difference. So first of all, get out of books, get out of your head, get out of the knowledge and get into the experience of life. And second, experience it with consciousness, with introspection, then that will make a change in your life. So that's a very general uh, help, uh, general suggestion. But with, with this kind of things, it, there is no easy one to three, like nothing in life is like this. There is no shortcut, even though we so desperately want it. No. What works with me is declaring what I have the courage. So sometimes it's, it's this idea that sounds somewhere in your head, you, you know, you are worthy in that position too, or, uh, 
example, I was doing meditation and I enjoy doing meditations, reading meditations. And then uh, this thought crossed my mind, you're good at that. And I was like, no, stop being arrogant. No, how can you say that about yourself? And I hushed it down. It's these moments when this thought crosses my mind, I catch it and I say, okay, it crossed my mind. Do I have the courage to look myself in the face, in the mirror and say, I'm good at meditation. It's my talent. It took me an effort because I'm, I'm this uh, like modest person. In Soviet times, modesty was a virtue. Uh, or, or declare to the world, I'm doing this post today and I'm, I'm shaking because I'm going to declare to the world today in Instagram publicly that I believe that I'm worthy in my second position. Do you have the courage to declare that? If you have the courage to declare to the world or to yourself looking in the mirror, that's when the process of change will start happening. You do it once, you will not allow uh, someone to push you back again because you'll back. I, I had to cross that line. I had to summon my courage to say it to myself, to say it to the world. I'm not going to let you, uh, you know, sow doubt in my mind again. Mm. So that's what works for me. <laughs> very, very powerful. Um, first thing that I felt uh, within my system or in my body when you were speaking about experience and knowledge, that it reminds me a bit on this tantric um, concept that's, um, you know, bringing intensity of the experience coming to life to this moment and feeling it fully. And on the other hand, expanding consciousness, your awareness of really being in the body and it's not um, zoomed out somewhere or being overwhelmed by the intensity of full life. So I, I love what you said. And I deeply, deeply believe um, that more information is not leading to any transformation. It's only really this embodied um, felt knowledge. And uh, I love also um, your, your, your examples. Um, Interesting that you said about courage, and I think that's so powerful just declaring for yourself and looking in the mirror and um, embracing your greatness or speaking out loud that I am good at meditation or whatever and really mm -hmm. meaning it. Um, how, 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 how can you, like, I'm, I'm thinking from the points because there were moments where it was very difficult for me to look in the mirror and tell this myself. And I remember specifically a couple of years ago when um, my partner was, was like, I was totally broke down and, and having this depressive moment. And we went, were together in front of the mirror and it was so difficult for me to look in my own eyes and to just simply accept and love what is in front of me. So if you're at a point where you see like, I, I, I want this courage and I want to go there, but I still don't know how to build it. I still don't know how to even show up for myself to say I am worthy. Like, um, is there anything that you can, um, can share um, what a person or a woman can do in this moment to declare this matter if it's just meditation or something else? Well, um, th these are two slightly separate processes because uh, you need courage for your internal processes as well, of course. Uh, but you can, you can be brave uh, without knowing your value. Uh, like courage is, is a skill in a way. I learned it with uh, Harvecker. He, he's actually a guru in money, but he is also pretty good at teaching other things. Uh, and, uh, and courage is this ability to act despite how you feel and uh, despite the fear. Here, uh, my favorite uh, analogy is how I was jumping with a parachute out of, <laughs> out of the plane, obviously. <laughs> Because uh, did you do uh, it in actual? Like, yeah, yes. oh wow! Yes, I've done it a few times, and uh, the first time is the memorable one. 
and uh, I because I saw the analogy with that jump in my real life some decisions in our life we are scared to take uh, and um, we we think that not taking decision is uh, is uh, like we avoid it right so uh, it took me uh, several years to separate from my business partner a few years ago it was uh, it's a long separate story about uh, you know, being honest with yourself and then realizing that it was uh, just lack of courage that, that prevented me from doing that. It was even um, going on stage, changing my career, of course, uh, separating with my, my husband. Uh, it, it all took courage, but the courage was uh, in making the decision. The thing is that we have to remember when we are in this position where we are afraid to take a decision is that it's, it's a cliche, but uh, failing to make a decision is a decision to be a failure. Uh, I know it's a cliche, but it's true not taking a decision is a decision is a decision not to change things in life so uh and and th these analogies reminded me of my first jump with the parachute uh when uh when i knew i will have to jump <laughs> we set up an appointment and i knew it was happening on a certain day at a certain time i actually didn't dare to make plans for my life for the future because i thought i will probably die uh, if not from falling off the plane then from fear uh, because i actually went online i made a research and i found out that driving to the drop zone is statistically speaking uh, 15 times or if not more more dangerous than jumping with a parachute out of the plane oh wow uh, yeah you can actually kill yourself while driving to the drop zone more likely than you will kill yourself jumping with the parachute but it didn't help because that's how fear works. Like we know that uh, flying a plane uh, on a plane is safer than driving in a bus, riding in a bus. Uh, yet uh, you never see people not wanting to step into a bus, saying like, no, I'm not going in there. I'm going to die. But you see people uh, on the plane, whenever it starts shaking, they're like, <gasps> I'm dead. Uh, so it's, that's because how our fears work. They're irrational, obviously. So uh, I, I remember being uh, on the drop zone and, and going through the class thinking, I, I don't have to jump, I'm just doing the class. And then they put on their outfit and I was like, no, I'm dressing up, but I, it doesn't mean I have to jump out of the plane. I, I'm just dressing up. And, and uh, I'm on the plane, I'm thinking I can still land with the plane. I don't have to jump out of the plane. And I'm still up with all those, and, and think of the analogies in your life, how we come up with this. I don't have to jump out of the plane, I can land. I'll, I'll step out of the door. And I'm standing in front of this door, and thank God, because I was doing tandem, obviously, for my first jump, uh, they kicked me out of the plane. Because I'm standing there, and there's this paralyzing fear. I, I think that's the end of life and then I'm kicked out and suddenly I'm like oh I'm flying and I don't want to open the parachute so the guy who was on my back he had to open the parachute because I refused to open the parachute because I was like no don't end it I'm flying finally I feel the, the experience of flying and that feeling between being paralyzed with fear to the point that there is no life beyond this point and the feeling of flying was just one step and in, if if in, in your life, you remember this thing. It's just one step. As scary as it is, just make that step and deal with, this, uh, with the consequences after you've done the step. Don't stand in front of that door. It doesn't change anything in your life. So I, whenever I'm in danger of, of, of being scared, I just think, okay, I'm, I'm in the door of the plane and I might have an, a chance to fly or might have a chance to to bump my ass and, and be in pain for a while, but I'll, I'll survive most likely. Mm, beautiful. I love that. I love your, your uh, exciting uh, uh, 
a real life example basically of <laughs> overcoming fear and i love what you said that it's really one step at a time like if we see this whole big fear or a big decision and all these changes it seems like so immensely but i, I love this trick of okay i'm dressing up good i don't have to do it okay i'm doing this and have to. it's almost like you're tricking the minds and somehow like working your yourself into the last moment where you're getting this kick or kicking yourself um I would love to know how how do you keep up being this uh, this um, beautiful soul that uh, juggles with so many beautiful things in your in your life, being a <laughs> mother, being a, a woman, being being a, a business person. Like, what's what's your secret sauce to that? Because I, I'm asking this specifically because I realize um, within myself that to be human, it's actually not. It is simple, but it's not that easy in practice. So if you want to be healthy, if you want to eat clean, if you want to be sexual, vibrant, if you want to, to be loving, like all of these small things um, take dedication and time. So I was wondering, like, how do you keep up the balance? How do you, what's your secret sauce to being a, a beautiful, happy, embodied uh, human <laughs> being? Well, I, I, first of all, I don't think it's, uh, it's ever a question of either or. So that's something also I learned from, uh, from Harvecker. <laughs> he, he has, uh, he, he writes about money, but literally you read his book and you replace money with love or money with health or money with happiness. And it still makes sense because mm. it's, it's so deep, but he has the say, he says, uh, when, when you're asked, um, what is more important, love or money? And he says, but how about both? What is more important, your left hand or your right hand? How about we have both? So this concept of not picking, but actually uh, going for, I'll have both. You know, when you, whenever the, the, you're given a cho choice, this or that, why don't you say, I'll have both? So that's, that's what I think is important in life, to just tell yourself, I'll have both, or I'll have all of them, give me the whole lot. Uh, and stop uh, asking yourself, like, what do I prioritize, this or that? And I know it's a little counterintuitive because we are, especially people in business, are taught about how you have to focus, how you have to pick your priorities. It's, it's again, this moment of contradictory messages. But the thing is that life is contradictory. Life is full of opposites. And, and, and this art of life is actually balancing the opposites. It's not about choosing this or that. It's choosing this or that in the right time, in the right place. There are, uh, you know, there is night, there is day, there is pain, there is pleasure. All of that has space and all of that is necessary. It's not either or, it's both. And it's, uh, the life is about balancing the, the opposites in the right way uh, with, the, with the best, uh, best uh, results for you. So when it comes to being loved, Loving, uh, healthy, and a good parent, you can do that all at the same time. You can go for a healthy meal with your family and enjoy the time and be loving and present. And you'll do both uh, meditation, spend time, quality time with your family, take care of your body and your soul at the same time. So it's, it's really, you can have all of that at the same time. So there is a little bit of optimization in my life. So a less serious answer would be, <laughs> lazy parents have very good children. And I'm a very lazy parent. So my trick is simple. I only do in my life what only I can do. Everything else I delegate. I'm really good at cleaning an apartment because I, I was born in Soviet Union. I cleaned my mom's apartment until I was 25. I got married and moved out. Uh, so uh, I am the best cleaning lady that I know personally. But I don't do it ever. Because there are other people who can do that, who chose that to be their uh, life's work, who earn money, whose life depends on that, them being 
having the opportunity to clean someone's apartments. And maybe they don't do it as well as I do. Actually, my Estonian cleaner does it probably better than I do. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> but the, the point is not about being perfect about it. So I'm optimizing certain areas of my life and I try not to do uh, the things that someone else can do. And it applies to my household, to my home, to my uh, work. Uh, and it's, it's a step that is a little scary to take in the beginning, but then later it becomes easier and easier. And that's the only place where you can buy yourself time. I'm actually one of the most leisurely people that you will ever find in our circumstances. I like to wake up without an alarm clock and I like to sleep late because I like my sleep. I like to wake up and not be sleepy. Uh, I like to think. That's why I call myself everyday life philosopher because my, my work is just living my life. I, because I, I get the uh, content for my speeches, for my articles, for my, um, for my uh, presentations, for everything out of my everyday life. Mm. And I just felt, sorry, <laughs> I felt guilty <laughs> that, that I can spend a day walking around and thinking about an experience I had. So I gave myself a title, Everyday Life Philosopher, because when I meditate about what's going on, <laughs> that I consider it work time. <laughs> so I'm a very leisurely person. Uh, but the trick is in allowing other people to do what they're good at, allowing other people to do the work that gives them money, that gives them livelihood, allowing other people to shine and not taking over. I'm good at marketing. I, I did marketing for 15 years in Mind Valley. I actually spoke on the biggest stage in the world about marketing. I'm still good at that. I have talent in that. But I also have a beautiful marketing team who has other aspects which I'm bad at. I don't like systems and processes and all of this because I'm a creative person. They like that. Some of them like that. Some of them like numbers. Some of them like to be creative. Some of them like to write. And as a perfectionist, I can do all of that, but I choose not to because they can do that as well. And I can spare the time for something else. So that's what I do in ho at home. I optimize as much as I can. Everybody can do that. Rather than going to the shop, uh, which I actually didn't do for five years. So I had to start going to the shop when the pandemic started. So I started looking into the ways of optimizing that process so that I don't have to waste that time. You know, little things in life. Mm. Uh, I, I don't want to, to drive my children around. I'll have to figure out how to help them to move around the, the town safely without me having to waste my time. Because there is quality time with your children and there is time when you become a slave of your own job, of your own business, of your own family, of your own household. I don't want to be a slave to any of them. I'd rather find people who will do the job where I can be their partner, their lover, their uh, friend, their uh, soulmate, anything but a slave. So that's how I find time for everything. Wow. I don't do things. I let other people do things. <laughs> so many fantastic wisdom nuggets. And uh, I will take this moment as an invitation to everyone who is listening and feeling the same excitement and inspiration and maybe a bodily feeling of, oh, something juicy is happening. Follow this fantastic woman. You find in the um, links uh, in, the uh, in the description of the podcast, all her links, follow her on social media. I love your posts. I'm looking forward to what's, what's happening there. So um, to witness your journey and your magic. And um, Christina, I really feel there's so much more that you can share and give. And uh, like this conversation could go for surely forever. And, um, but like always, we're living in a time construct. Um, I would love to come to the final question, which I really love because that gives us like a, 
um, kind of, um, let's say, a tough love reflection to what really matters and priorities <laughs> somehow. Um, so what would you share with your beloved brothers and sisters across the globe or humanity if you would know that you would die next week? What would be one message that you would like to leave behind for humanity? Um, well, the thing is that, uh, first of all, I don't uh, believe in the concept of tough love. <laughs> there is love <laughs> and there is honesty and there's sincerity and there's compassion. Uh, tough love is sometimes just being an ass uh, and, 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 you know, giving your truth, uh, saying that it comes out of care, but actually it's just your truth. Uh, but answering your question, uh, I do not know if I'll uh, die next week or if I'll die tomorrow or if I'll die in 10 years. Nobody does. And uh, it's, it's not my usual message, but it's, it's, uh, it just got born out of what you asked. Uh, we live in uh, the illusion of certainty. Uh, and this year, if anything, it has uh, shown us that the only certain thing in life is uncertainty. And the thing is that we don't live in any more uncertain world right now than we lived a year ago. It is as uncertain now as it was a year ago. The difference is that we are aware of the uncertainty right now. Uh, so what I want to say is a quote from one of my favorite novels by a Russian uh, novelist, um, Bugakov. Uh, the novel is Master Margarita, and one of the main characters, mm. he's a devil actually, he says, humans are, uh, uh, humans are mortal, and that would have been half the problem. They're mortal unexpectedly, <laughs> which I think is kind of beautiful. And it scares me. It scares me because I still haven't come to peace with death, so I'm not ready to die yet. I want to first make friends with death. And that's uh, another journey which is uh, somewhere around the corner. I'm talking about that. I think we as humans are so, uh, modern humans are so, re uh, so removed from the concept of death, so far away that we are so uncomfortable with a lot of things about it. But it's natural part of life. We have to learn to be friends with it again. Because that paranoia about it is not healthy for us. So I, I am on a journey of making friends with death. I'm still scared of it, but because I still have made friends with it, I believe it's too early for us to meet, <laughs> but I, I, I at least I hope so. We'll see, life will show. Uh, and um, yeah, you know, I actually came in touch with it recently uh, in, a, in a, not a very nice way. Uh, it's, it's the thing is that it happens and it will happen to us. And it's the only certain thing that it will happen to us. So probably the only thing you can do is just, just live this life, this uncertainty in a way that when it reaches you, you know, you're, you're not miserable, you're not alone, you're not uh, forgotten, that there are people actually who care, who will miss you, who will love you, who will, who will say goodbye to you, who will hold your hand when you're there going this, doing this crossover. I, I think it's about, about having people that you love and, you, and, and who love you in your life all the time and, and just not postponing that for the better future and working on that now because everything else uh, can be done parallel. It's not either or. So don't, don't do your business and only then make a family when you're ready, when you're on your both feet standing. Do it now. I don't know. It's a rant again. <laughs> Beautiful. 
Um, Christina, thank you so much for sharing and being on the show. Once again, everyone who is listening and tuning in, follow this fantastic, beautiful woman, um, embrace her magical journey. And um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for uh, sharing your love and wisdom and vulnerability. I deeply, deeply appreciate um, uh, your stories and, and everything what you give here. So Looking forward to re-listening to this podcast once again and taking some beautiful notes for that. Um, thanks for being here, everyone. Thank you. Oh, I love that. I also love, like we're doing the hard science if you're listening uh, on Spotify or iTunes. Um, so yes, thank you, everyone else. Um, have a fantastic day. I hope that could give you some perspective on life. And yes, we hear each other soon. Take care and have a fantastic week. Bye.